0: This morning we want to preach, um, as we continue our study, on His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. And so we know that Christ is wonderful. And we want to, as we look through our study, we looked last week at a wonderful prophecy. And uh, in this week we want to change, look at a wonderful place, the place of His birth. And so we find that His name is truly wonderful. In Luke chapter 2, verse number 4, the Bible says, So Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished for her to be delivered." And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. This morning we want to look at the place of his birth and we find that Jesus, the creator of heavens and earth, would lay in a manger and the fact that he would is nothing short of miraculous in itself. Joseph, the espoused husband of Mary, had returned to Bethlehem for his birth. Uh, taxation and for the census and upon arrival he finds that the house has been filled and there is no rooms that were available there are many reasons why the rooms may have been full and Bethlehem was a village of only about 300 people and you find that as they were there Jerusalem just seven miles away where Christ from his birth to his death would transpire was a city that could swell up to a quarter of a million people during certain holidays. And so with many people returning for uh, the census, it's very possible that not only Jerusalem but the surrounding areas, every available guest room had been filled. And so we find that Christ is birthed into a place where there is no room for him. What is it about the place of Christ that itself is miraculous so this morning i want to look at the wonderful place of christ's birth there are actually three different places that we will look today as we examine the birth of christ and we want to uh, look at these as we as we see that christ was born first off we find here in scripture that he was born in bethlehem it was bethlehem where christ was born In Micah chapter five, in verse number two, the Bible says, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me, the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. We know that Christ, uh, although he, he was called the man from Nazarene, being from Nazareth with Joseph and Mary, he was not there. Now actually, if you look, you find that he traveled from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. And it was a journey probably of about 70 plus miles. Had he have went and went down through uh, the Jordan River, he would have come down and had to extend the mountains up to Jerusalem. And it could have been upwards of a 3,500 plus foot ascent. But more than likely, Jesus Christ came around through the wilderness and came from Nazareth up to Bethlehem where he was to be born. The birth in Bethlehem was prophesied in Micah 700 years before the birth of Jesus. As I said, Nazareth was 70 miles away, and if they had taken it, um, the fact that Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem at all is a miracle, because any pregnant lady taking a journey 70-plus miles on the back of a donkey, uh, you know, it's a miracle that she did not go into labor before they ever even arrived into Bethlehem. So we find the fact that Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem was miraculous. The name Bethlehem itself in the Hebrew comes from two uh, root words. The first is bet, meaning a house, and the second, lehem, or lehem, meaning bread. Jesus truly was born in the house of bread. In John chapter six, in verse number 33, the Bible says, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus was born in the the house of bread because he was the bread of God. In John chapter six, verse number 48, the Bible says, I am the bread of life. In John chapter six, verse number 51, he says, I am the living bread who came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem. And the fact that he was born there is wonderful because of the significance of Bethlehem. It was a small, insignificant town. It was on the outskirts of Jerusalem and everybody around the world knows and knew who Jerusalem was jerusalem was a city of beauty it was the city of name it was the city that everyone sought to come to and yet, bethlehem was the laboring town it was the working city on the outskirts that nobody really knew anything of it was the outskirts city that had no beauty of itself the temple the decorations all of the the priests with all their garments and the uh all the the priestly and, and the temple ordinances were all done in jerusalem Jerusalem was the city of beauty. and Bethlehem was on the outside. Yet we know that this is a perfect fit for Christ. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse number 2, it says, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form nor comeliness, and we, we shall see him. There is no beauty that we should desire him this is bethlehem a town that was prophesied of that christ would be born a town that had no beauty but a town that was known as the house of bread. we'll look more here in just a moment about bethlehem and its significance but second of all i want to switch for a moment from bethlehem to the end where christ was born or where he was rejected at i should say there are references in the Jewish Mishnah that attest to the wide use of ends throughout the first two centuries AD in Palestine. And although it was written later on, it would have gladly reflected to the times of Christ. A consistent point, however, in the Mishnah references the bad reputation of public inns or uh, places to stay. Inns and innkeepers were, are not held in high esteem and at least by the, ra- the rabbis. The mission of places innkeepers on the lowest scale of degradation possible and states that innkeepers were not to be trusted. I won't go into all the reasons why, but they were thought to be uh, very uh, wicked people. Because inns had such a bad reputation, it is not surprising that the Jews and early Christians uh, recommended keeping an open house for the benefit of strangers other Jews that were traveling so they would not have to stay in a public inn or a public place. And although the truth of the matter is as small as Bethlehem was, there probably was not an inn in the way that we think of as inn, as a hotel, but rather the inn was probably a guest house. They were looking at guest houses to stay with other Jews. This Jewish tradition looked to the example of Abraham who practiced hospitality to the strangers and blessed him for his kindness. And yet in Luke chapter 2, verse number 7, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. That word inn comes from the Greek word meaning guest room. It means guest room. As was mentioned earlier, the town of Bethlehem was had only around 300 people. And so there probably was no hotels there. But the places where be- Joseph and Mary came to place Christ was, they were looking for a guest room. Now you have to remember, they're traveling back to Bethlehem to be, do the census. Now, this is their, where they're from, right? This is where Joseph is from. Joseph, I imagine, probably thought, we don't have to worry about it. I got a pregnant wife. We're going to get back home. And my cousin or my, my, my great uncle, somebody's going to have a place for us to stay when we get there so they arrive with a pregnant Mary, and as they get there, he finds that every room is full. There's nowhere left for Christ. Luke chapter 9, verse 58, And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. From his very birth. There was no room left for Christ. The sad reality of it is, is that 2,000 years later, we go around and we try to preach and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world, and yet for many, there are still no room for Christ. Even as Christians, as believers, we have given our lives to Christ, yet when we come to having our daily walk with God, our daily relationship with Him, we take every moment, every waking second of our day, and we fill our lives with materialism and with things and with busyness, and there is no room for Christ in our life. There was no room for them in the end. The guest room, the place for others had been filled. I wonder, have you made room for Christ in your life? Is there a time, is there a place where you have set aside and said, listen, I will not allow this to be filled with anything else, with anyone else. I will set this aside only and wholly for Jesus Christ. This is his place in my life. I'll tell you this, that if you do not set a place aside for Christ, you'll find that there will be things that'll fill his place until there's no room left. He was born with nowhere to lay his head, so he borrowed a manger. And when he died, there was no place to lay his body, so he had to borrow a tomb. He did this so he could go and prepare a place for you and me. So we see here this morning, we see Bethlehem. Then also we've looked at the inn. But there is a third place that I will probably spend a, a few more moments lingering on, and this is where I want to look at the third aspect was the manger. There was a manger. The Bible says that she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. What was The manger. Often we think, and me and Jonathan have had discussions of this over the last month, often we think of a manger as a little wooden box that was built in some dirty barn. And I want to maybe change that narrative a little bit for you this morning. The truth is, a manger looks something similar to this right here. It was a, a, a rock cavern that had been carved out and made so that they could feed and water the livestock. And so this is probably more of what Christ was laid in, was a, a manger. A manger was typically a rock that had been hollowed out. It had been hollowed out so that uh, it could be used. It was used for feeding and watering of flocks. And, but, but to really understand what, where this verse is going and the, the significance of the manger, I think we have to step back to Bethlehem and really look at the big picture of what's transpiring here. Bethlehem was known for raising animals for sacrifice in Jerusalem. Just seven miles away was the temple where there had to be sheep and lambs brought in to be sacrificed for their blood to be spilt there in the temple. Bethlehem was known as a sheep herding town that raised the sheep for these sacrifices. The manger was probably not some dirty barn but rather a cave that was used for keeping the livestock. Ancient historians dating back to the 2nd century AD stated, even back then, stated that Jesus was born in a birthing cave. I want to look a little bit about this, but the the place where where the sheep were birthed was in Migdal Eder in Bethlehem. This was the place where the tower There was a tower that the shepherds could use to keep watch over their flocks. And Micah chapter 5 verse number 2 says, But you Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from old and from everlasting uh Ifritha means uh from the ashes and and migdal Eder there in bethlehem there was a tower that was built migdal eater you can go online and see pictures of it it was a tower that had been built and as they were there watching over the sheep at night to get a better vantage point of the sheep that the shepherds would go up into this tower and look down over the hillsides into the rocks the best they could at night to keep an eye over the sheep so they could see all of them, see what was transpiring. And so here in Migdal Eater is where the shepherds at nights would go up and watch over the sheep. Odds are that this is where the shepherds are when they're keeping watch over their flock by night. They're probably up in this tower watching over their sheep. As I said, Ephratham means ash heap or a place of fruitfulness. Micah chapter four, verse number eight says, And you, O Tower of the Flock, the strongholds of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come. Even the former dominion shall come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. So even here it talks about the tower of the flock. And so we find that Migdal Eder was probably the tower where the shepherds stayed and watched over the flock. And Genesis chapter 35 verse 21, the Bible says in Israel journeyed and pitched his tent Uh, beyond the tower of Eder. So all this, this tower of Eder ties in to Bethlehem throughout scripture. And Micah chapter four, verse number eight. And you, O tower of the flock, as I read earlier, you'll come the daughters, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. We find in Isaiah chapter 61, verse number three, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes. Again, Bethlehem ether says beauty from ashes. And here we find that from the ashes, the Bible says that from the morning Zion to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. The caves that were used to birth sacrificial animals were typically kept to ensure that the lambs were safe. As a result of the demand for spotless lambs, the shepherds would swaddle them at birth we find it interesting here the bible says in another passage of scripture that this will be a sign to you you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger the swaddling clothes are very significant in in these birthing caves what you find is that as this lamb was born it had to be a purpose perfect lamb before it could be offered as a sacrifice so when these lambs were born what the shepherds would do is they had a garment called a swaddling cloth and they would take these lambs and they would begin to wrap them up with their body and their legs where they couldn't walk and they would swaddle these babies tied in these swaddling garments and they would keep them that way until a priest could come along and he could inspect the sheep the lamb and after he would inspect it, say, listen, this lamb, it is spotless. There indeed is nothing wrong with it. You can, it can now be taken to Jerusalem to be offered as a sacrifice. They did not want the baby lamb to get hurt, to fall, to get a, 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 a bone broken, to get a cut, and, the, and, the, and his skin torn or stained with blood. And so they swaddled it to keep it perfect for sacrifice. Yet Jesus Christ, and he was born. What happened? They took him and they wrapped him in swaddling clothes. There, in a cave that was set aside for the birth of sacrificial lambs. And we know that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And there, Jesus Christ, from his very birth, in Bethlehem, in that cave, he was wrapped up in swaddling clothes. And God was signifying, this is my son. He is the sacrificial lamb that is going to take away the sins of the world. Jesus Christ, he was and is that sacrifice. He was wrapped in those swaddling clothes, laid in a manger. This wasn't as we often think as some old dirty, nasty barn. This was a birthing cave for sacrificial lambs that had to be kept spotless. Here in this place, Christ was born, that he might be the sacrifice for you and I. John chapter one, 29, the next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus Christ, the lamb of God. Nothing about his birth was by accident. fact that he was born in bethlehem the house of bread that place that was prophesied and the bible referred to jesus as the bread of life the inn, the place of, who had no room for him and yet we find that many do not have a place for him then we find that he was laid in a manger there in that birthing cave a place that was set aside for the sacrificial lamb and john john the baptist saw jesus and said behold the lamb of god but furthermore in revelations we find in revelations chapter 22 that it's that it's still the lamb of god revelations 22:3, 3 and there shall be no more curse but the throne of god and of the lamb shall be in it and his servants shall serve him he wasn't just the lamb but he is and forevermore will be the lamb of god the manger is a miracle because it was unfitting for a king but yet it was perfectly fitting for a sacrifice that's why the jews would not accept christ as the messiah because they were looking for a king and not a sacrifice and yet, still today, this world does not want a sacrifice. They want a king. We don't make heroes out of the, the victim, and even on society as a as a whole we've done that a few times, but typically we want the superhero with all the powers. That's the hero of the story. The one that can defeat and have victory over everyone. Not the powerless. And yet Christ, he was the sacrifice. The world looks at Jesus Christ and says, no, he was weak. And yet in his sacrifice, he bore the greatest victory this world has ever known. In laying down his life and becoming born in a manger, he did what no one else could do, not what no one else would do. He laid down his life and said, I will become the sacrifice. That's why when he's facing Calvary, he, said, he laid down and said, no man taketh my life. I freely give it it's not that jesus said no man uh, uh won't take my life he said no man's gonna t- can take my life you think that uh, that a, a roman soldier with a spear could thrust in the sign of christ and take from him life that he himself is the essence of the giver of life it was not the crown of thorns that took the life from jesus christ nor were it the nails, nor the stripes, nor the spear. Jesus said, I give my life. I am the sacrifice that I freely give. Yet we know that the last time he came, he came as a lamb. But the next time he comes, he will come as a lion. Bethlehem was the home of the sacrifices but it was also with the tribe of Judah. We know that Genesis 49.9 says, Judah is a lion's whelp from the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down, he lies down as a lion and as a lion who shall rouse him. He came as as a lamb in Judah, Bethlehem, but also he will be a lion. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. One day, he will come back again. And the first time he came was a sacrifice, but the next time he come, he will come as king of kings and Lord of lords. Revelations 5, 5 says, but one of the elders said to me, do not weep, behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. The first time he was a lamb, the next time he is a lion. The first time he came in a manger, but the next time he comes in might. The first time he was born in a sheep stall, but the next time he's gonna come riding on a white horse. The first time he was wrapped in swaddling clothes, but according to Revelations chapter 19 and verse number 13, the next time the Bible says he will come with his vesture dipped in blood. The first time he came on a silent night, but the next time he come, the Bible says in Revelation 14, one and two, that his voice will be like thunder. The first time he came to die, the next time he will come to defeat. The first time he came to so be ready at his return. Are you ready to meet your creator? He was born in a manger, but do not mistake that his meekness for weakness on the contrary he is a kind loving merciful and faithful however he is also just and faithful to his commandments and promises galatians chapter 6 verse number 7 do not be deceived god is not mocked for whatsoever man sows that he will also reap just as his last visit came in the night, he will return the same as a thief in the night, the Bible says. My question is this, if his return happens today, are you ready? The world was not ready for him at his first coming. Herod in fear, uh, boy, I'd love to talk about him. He was a wicked man. Had all the babies killed under two. Fearful for his throne. The world was not ready. Just a few showed up. Just a few shepherds. Later, a few wise men. The world was not ready. But he came so that he might make a way for you and I to be ready for his second coming. The Bible says that it's appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. This Christmas holiday we celebrate his birth and his first coming, but do not be mistaken. He will come again and when he comes, are we ready? Do you know Jesus, who was born in Bethlehem's manger? I don't mean, have you heard the story? Do you know him? I'm not asking if you've been to church, but do you know him? I'm not asking if you celebrate Christmas. Years ago, I talked to a lady who had uh, in, a, in a church I pastored and um, she had a rough, rough marriage and they ended up ultimately ending their marriage in divorce. And she came to me and explaining, pouring her heart out how rough her marriage had been. And she said, and come to find out after all, preacher, he wasn't even a Christian. She said, but I can't believe that, she said, because when we first started dating he told me he celebrated Christmas celebration of Christmas is not the same as knowing Jesus do you know him have you had an encounter with him and if he comes back today are you ready every head bow and eye closed no one looking around his name is wonderful Everything about him is wonderful. From the prophecies of his birth to the place of his birth. But he did that so that you may know him. Today, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I ask you, don't delay. Don't put it off another day. There's nothing worth putting Christ off. Christian, is there a place for Him in your life? Or are the rooms filled? If you're here and you don't know Christ is your Savior, when we begin to sing in just a moment, I want to ask you, if you would, Come forward, let us take the Bible and show you how you can know that you're saved. If you're here and you're saved, I want to ask you, is there a place in your life for Christ? And if not, today, would you make room for him? If you would, stand with us as we sing.